Ladies, gentlemen, boys, and girls, welcome to yet another fantastic interview episode of Metal Gear Mondays, the Games Club-style podcast covering all things Metal Gear and a lot of things that aren't Metal Gear lately, <laughs> um, from top to bottom, left, right, inside, and out in pseudo-historical recreational order, as sometimes I'm your host, Alessio Summerfield, and this intro is getting out of control. Um, yeah, there's a lot. I'm also lot joined there. by Sam. Hey, Sam. <laughs> Hey, it's me. Um, but yeah, we, we're also joined by a very, very special guest today. As you can tell by the title in your podcast app, uh, we're talking to Jennifer Hale. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's Naomi. It's Naomi Hunter. It's Emma Emmerich. And and many other things, of course. You know her from Mass Effect. She's the female Commander Shepard. She's been in Baldur's Gate. Uh, she's been in uh, World of Warcraft. She's been in... Uh, Onamusha, she's been in. God, what else? Killer she, Seven, she baby. A, yeah, Killer Seven. She's, she's Ash been from in, uh, Overwatch as well. Oh, Ash from Overwatch. She's been in No More Heroes too. Uh, she's uh, she played some various princesses in my my favorite game, Kingdom Hearts. Uh, uh, Isn't she Cinderella and Wreck It Ralph as well? I think so. Um, yeah, of course she's been. She's uh, Rosalind Lutes from Bioshock Infinite. Uh, of course. Uh, what hasn't she been in? She's been in like the last like seventy Mortal Kombat's. Like, <laughs> yeah, she's great. Yeah, they're up to like Mortal Kombat like twelve hundred now, right? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course she's been she's been in a lot of different like cartoons and animations. And and me myself, I'm very fond of the fact she was Black Cat in Spider Man the Animated Series from the nineties, mm-hmm. uh, which is not only my one of my favorite cartoons tunes of all time but uh had me a little crush on black cat when i was a kid <laughs> this is just going to turn into uh between debbie may west and jennifer hale this is just going to turn into like us talking to our 90s crushes yay <laughs> so jennifer uh jennifer is a very prolific voice actor she's been in she's been around for a while she knows what she's doing um and yeah we uh we got a chance to talk to her which is very very cool yeah lots of insight into way more than just metal gear yeah business and not chaining yourself to expectations and like there's like there's there was so much i know it's it was great such a great listen you should you you, if you're listening to this episode it means you're going to listen to it but like you should really listen to it like like listen to it well and if you're the kind of person who listens to intros and then decides not to listen to the episode yeah can you can you email us at contact at metalgearmondays.com yeah please we want to hear your story (laughs) <laughs> you could be eligible for compensation. Um, uh, I like. I, I guess to put it to put it simply, my favorite interview episodes are the ones when we start to talk Metal Gear, and it almost feels like a downer because everything else is somehow way more interesting than mm-hmm. what we've chosen to dedicate this entire podcast to. So, yeah. and I don't say that lightly because, and I don't say it begrudgingly either because, like, obviously we love Metal Gear, but. Um, when it when we're equally as excited or more excited to talk about everything outside of Metal Gear because the interview is that great, um, I think it makes for a very special episode. The way that I like to look at it too is that like these actors, a lot of them have done interviews about Metal Gear in the past, and it, a lot of the time they're going to to tread similar ground. And I think it's you know I think it's our duty to ask the questions about the series because that's what the podcast is about. But I think part of what makes our interview special is that we dive into others like the other things like what makes them tick as people as opposed to metal gear you know what i mean yeah and i don't i don't know if we've ever talked about sort of our interview ethos um that we carry with us when we prep for all these but like i mean there are some kind of rules i guess um that i uh cling to i guess whenever i'm doing prep work and i know sam and i have definitely talked about it um is like one we'd never 
ever want to ask sort of the exact same questions that somebody else already has like that's something we just like actively try to stay away from um Mm -hmm. unless it's obviously like basic kind of stuff it's like to the point where we'd like back when we interviewed david Hayter, we we discovered that we were going to interview him maybe 12 hours before we're going to interview him and that night we stayed up late to watch interviews that he had done to make sure we weren't asking him like crazy similar questions like we we try our best to, to to do that right so we want to bring you guys exclusive content um and i don't mean exclusive like a capital e like it's this isn't i don't know like the we're not enemy or something um <laughs> but um but what we do try to do is bring you guys exclusive content sort of in the form of like stories maybe you've not heard before because nobody's ever asked about them um one of the other kind of guiding principles that we tend to use too is like if they've done other interviews, are there aspects of those interviews where you can tell they want to talk about a different subject a little bit more in depth and then they mm-hmm. weren't able to? Um, so I know like with uh, when we talked to Jeremy Blaustein, um, we we definitely made an effort to talk to him about certain aspects of culture that he really likes to talk about but never gets a chance to. Um, so those are just some things we carry into this. But um, also for the most part, and I think Jennifer nailed this when she talked about it, um, we just try to be present listeners and so if the interview is going a certain way um, we don't want to derail it or create some sort of weird whiplash or almost be a hurdle in that interview Um, we want it to to flow really well and obviously if the guest is really passionate about talking about something we want to ask them more about it Um, so and obviously we're under time constraints on some of these too so it's like if we could sit down with jennifer for two hours i'm sure we would get really in depth about Mm-hmm. Metal Gear stuff, but because we only have forty-five minutes or what have you, um, we kind of have to prioritize in the moment. Yeah, um, but yeah, and honestly, I'd like to talk to her again, like if we could, not not like to to maybe ask more Metal Gear stuff, but like just to get more of like her insight because she's very, she's a very insightful, very thoughtful um, person, and she's so interesting to just sit and listen to. Yeah, it's really cool. So, and I definitely uh. A lot of weird, a lot of weird ties to our personal lives. So brace for yeah. that in the middle of these episodes, this episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, since this is a little bit of a break in our current coverage, I know right now we're doing all these Death Stranding episodes. Um, we are going to be going back into more Death Stranding stuff after this, but obviously um, we don't want to be in a situation where we're, we're withholding an interview episode for like months before we can right. get to it. Um, so we wanted to fast track this because um, we thought you guys would be interested. We got her. Yeah, we got our two gameplay episodes out there, and then yeah, we got we got another choice interview. Yeah, so and we're very excited for some upcoming stuff. So keep listening, of course. Um, but I'm uh, pretty sure that uh, we are going to be kind of getting some more MGS One folks for sure, which is going to be super exciting. Um, and we may even have some uh, additional folks that have uh, uh, already been on the show, kind of circle back around and talk to us about Death Stranding before the game releases. So exciting stuff all around. Um, yeah, Sam, where can people find us? And, 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 and let's hit them with all the goodies before we dive into the interview. The goodies. Hi, goodies. <laughs> uh, you can, uh, <laughs> you can uh, follow us on the internet. You can go to MetalGearMondays.com for, for everything that, that we do there. Um, uh, it'll have links to everything I'm about to say to you. You can also, if you'd like, support us on Patreon. Uh, patreon.com slash Metal Gear Mondays for as little as a dollar will get you some cool stuff um, video content and extra podcasts and what have you um, 
we're finally getting back into the swing now that Alessio is settled and everything's clearing up. We can we're finally settling in on that. Yeah, um, apologies for the slump, you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so those will be coming soon, if not already. Um, uh, what else? You can you can go to facebook.com slash Mondays, like us there. Um, we got our Twitter can, back. Our Twitter yeah, is we now got off our, of we house got our Twitter back. So so you're hearing this uh, a couple weeks after we did, but. It was actually it was actually really funny. <laughs> it was actually really funny. It's as if the Twitter support listens to our podcast because um, the character uh, two weeks ago was it two yeah it was two weeks ago as you're listening to this the character trailer episode of Death Stranding that we did um, at the end I called for a crusade to, to flood some <laughs> Twitter support and lo and behold later that night our Twitter was back in our hands so. Uh, so I don't know. I think maybe somebody, somebody, somebody at Twitter might be listening. We got some know. fans. What's up, Twitter? Yeah, what up, Twitter? Be better. We There's just a giant blue cartoon bird inside of a building in Seattle that listens to us <laughs> at the top of the Space Needle. Yeah, God, it'd be creepy <laughs> to see. Um, yeah, so we got our Twitter back, so you can follow us at Metal Gear Monday on Twitter. We're going to start flowing that in again. You can also follow us Instagram, uh, Metal Gear Mondays on Instagram, uh, and we have a store bit.ly slash mgm store where you can buy some like shirts and stuff yeah so um with all of that out of the way oh i do also want to mention if anybody has any thoughts on death stranding comments theories yes, anything please. um send us an anything. email contact at metalgearmondays.com yep, as much as you can um really quick let's see where can they find you on the internet oh yeah so you can find me at ac summerfield on twitter or ac summerfield.com or pretty much anything with ac summerfield and a lot of you have and added me on psn and i got a lovely message yesterday yes. so thank you guys yes i i you have also been adding me on psn as well um you can find me on twitter at sanjul that's s-a-n-j-u-u-l my psn is deadpool alpha um and i've i've said this before uh, please leave a note that says you are from metal gear mondays um if you uh want me to add you because spam is a thing uh, yeah that exists so please for please, sure please 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 um you can also if you go to bit.ly slash sam does a thing uh it'll take you to my youtube channel where i'm starting to do youtube videos so you can watch me eat various foodstuffs as because I don't know what else to do with my channel right now. If anybody <laughs> has any suggestions, please let me know. And I will be happy to execute as best as possible. <laughs> Sam, do some comedic tour videos of places in Seattle. I would some like to com- see those. Comedic tour videos? Why? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then she mentions at the end of the show, but you can follow Jennifer um, at Tweets on Twitter. Um, she also has a podcast that she mentions in the show called The Art of Money. If you look up The Art of Money or if you look up jennifer hale on your various podcast apps you will be able to find it so yeah clutch follow out. you guys clutch follow um check that out she's seven episodes in to the art of money so there's plenty of time to to catch up on that and be be part of the movement that's not right i don't know maybe <laughs> so uh yeah i guess without further ado um ladies and gentlemen please give it up for the lovely fantastic Jennifer Hale. Thank you for joining us, Jennifer Hale. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, Typically, the way that we uh, handle these sorts of episodes on the show is we like to kind of get started learning um, 
just as much as we can about the person behind the voice. Um, I think I think it's why a lot of our listeners like to check out these episodes, just because they get these sort of deep cut insights into uh, into the talent. But um, I'm irrelevant. It's not about me. It's about the players. <laughs> it's about the viewers. It's about the writers and the experience that they've created. I'm invisible. <laughs> perfect answer. Yeah, very, very, very perfect answer. Um, but yeah, to get to get us started, I mean, we we do have. It's interesting what kind of listener pool we've kind of gathered over the years, um, and we do have quite a few folks that are from Newfoundland. And oh. when I saw that that's where you were born, I oh, felt like on. we had to ask on their I'm behalf. From Labrador. Very, very nice. <laughs> I mean, to be, no, 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 no. I mean, listen. Uh, full respect to my Newfoundlander, you know, uh, compatriots. Um, Labrador uh, is we're pretty independent. I, you know, governmentally we fall under Newfoundland's umbrella, but they've done some things in the last few years that I want to beat them in the faces for. And, uh, <laughs> I don't like to lay claim to that particular government. The people I love all day long, but the government I want to pound into the dirt. Um, it was my father without charges. My father, oh, no. tribal elder, and um, and I always screw up our tribal tribal name. Nanuk ah, ah, for God's sake, I can never get it right. He can say it a lot better than I can, but he's a tribal <laughs> elder. Um, even though he looks like a, a white dude, because we're you know we're descended from the native, the original natives of the area, and uh, English fishermen who came over. Basically, this horrible company called Nalcor has come in to put a dam on this amazing river called Muskrat, you know, it's Muskrat Falls. They were going to dam the falls and dam the river. And in doing so, they built the dam basically on sand and water. My cousin drives, she's a tiny little thing, super beautiful and smart and drives massive trucks. So she was able to um, help us find some information that had us realize that they put that dam on top of sand and water. And long story short, they were going to, it's poisoning the fish supply, poisoning the water. My father just would walk on the land every day. And the judge tried to get him to stop by hitting him with an injunction. He's like, I'm not signing a thing that says I'm not going to walk on my land every day because it's our sure. land, it's tribal lands. Yeah. And at the time, my father was 79. He's what technically he's a palliative care cancer patient because he's had cancer since 95. Oh, wow. And it's oh. slowly metastasized to a lot of his body. There's sort of nothing they can do at this point, but he's still functioning and pissing people off, which is awesome. <laughs> and, um, when he refused to sign this thing, the judge didn't charge him with anything, but slapped chains on him, handcuffs and ankle things and chains. Oh my God. Him and two other elders in a van and took them 1500 kilometers away to a maximum security prison where they were thrown in cells and kept for 10 days without charges. And oh my that God. was under the, you know, under the supervision of the Newfoundland government. So yeah, I'm from Labrador. <laughs> that's that's an intense answer i wow um so i i am super curious how you got from labrador to the like deep south of america like i uh, i've spent I, yeah i've spent a considerable amount of time in alabama and florida and so whenever i saw that it was like my ears perked up i was like i have friends that went to alabama school of fine arts what what are you what? doing oh, your friends who went to asfa yeah it was like which is an unfortunate acronym for that school very <laughs> I never um, occurred to me till this moment. I'm like, oh, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Who are your friends? Um, so they're actors in Atlanta now, but uh, they, I want to say they were alumni from, it would have been like the early 2000s. When oh, that's they graduated. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, but no, I was curious. Like, I how did I talk to them though? 
<laughs> I would go back every few years. I'll go back there and talk to the theater department. And it's the, you know, pouring cold waters of reality on your dreams conversation. Yeah. So your parents owe you nothing. Um, you're going to have rent to pay. You need to find a side job until you're, you're two people. Now you're both an artist and the artist patron and the artist, yeah. patron, the adult side of you needs to go out and find some money so that the artist, the child side of you can play and no other adult outside your body is responsible for that. And here's taxes and here's agents and here's headshots and here's business. And here's how you handle all that. I used to go back. I still do sometimes go back and give that talk to the, to the kiddos. <laughs> um, I, I love the way you put that. That's amazing. Like you just summarized the last 10 years of my creative life in a way that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And that is, that is the artist's life. And when you're working, when you happen to be in fashion, which very often has not so much to do with you, um, this great book called the four agreements and one of the, uh, by Don Miguel Ruiz, I think. Um, and one of the agreements is take nothing personally. And that applies to your success as well. You can identify the things that you did that made, that led to that success that is partly nothing to do with you. Um, but my point is when you're, when you're making hay, when you're in fashion, when you're working, save half your money, because there's going right. to come a time when you're not, and it will have very little to do with you. It'll be an opportunity for you, an opportunity for you to grow and stretch and reinvent and and challenge yourself. And and it's challenging on a personal level because there is a piece of you that's like, why don't you love me anymore? You know, yeah. but it's not about you, but it's an opportunity for you. Anyway. Um, no, that's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. I'm glad that you do that because yeah. that's definitely a message to, that folks should listen to. Oh, yeah. it's um, I, I run a class sometimes called The Head Game where we talk about like people do artists do a lot of training in their craft, but unless you're in therapy or working with some sort of external business coach or life coach, or although there's so many life coaches that aren't worth their salt, but there, there's some good ones as well. Unless you're working with somebody outside who can smack some sense into you when you got your head up your own backside, you'll get stopped by the head game. So that's why I like to kind of, you know, take that on. Like where do you choke when you step in a room where do you choke when you sit down to create? Um, how do you reframe it so that you're not killing yourself off, you know, and right. that kind of thing. But uh, by the way, small correction. I actually only went to Florida on vacations. I was <sighs> okay. in Alabama and Ohio and then Georgia. And then it's always Ohio. We've talked always to Ohio. so many I'm, Midwest Ohio. Yeah, I'm from Ohio originally. So I, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dayton. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was in Cincinnati for um, four years. Very nice. Hardest for you. <laughs> so, so, so how did you, so how did you go from, get from Labrador down to Alabama and to Ohio? What was like the, the transition of that? My mother, mm. <laughs> my mother was a wandering soul, very bright woman, absolutely terrifying, um, <laughs> mercurial, destructive, borderline. She was a borderline and um, one of the best teachers I ever had but not a teacher in the this is how you do it way, a teacher in dear God, I'm never going to do that way. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that I, you know, the, I, I believe it's the Buddhists or another tradition from the East. That's so wise and wonderful say that you pick the family you're born into for what they can teach you. And I always joke that I picked the high challenge plan. Paired <laughs> with my mom, um, but you know, I'm sure I know she has her share, had her share of challenges and stuff as well. So, um, but yeah, she was up there, met my father, uh, married him for a short bit. I happened 
And then she actually kidnapped me back to the U.S. My father didn't ended up not realize not knowing where I was for a long time. Um, and then I ended up in Massachusetts for a few months, and then down in Montgomery, Alabama, for a few years. Not that long. I was really little. I don't remember much except mm-hmm. the train tracks behind one of the houses we lived in. And uh, then ended up in Birmingham, and that's where I um, spent my. I was there for ele- first little bit of elementary school, couple of years. Then went to Ohio for fourth through eighth grade, uh, which is where I became intimately familiar with bullying, mm, <laughs> which often very fuerte. It makes you very fuerte. And, <laughs> um, and then uh, back down to Birmingham for high school and university, and then started commuting to Atlanta for work and ended up out in LA. That's crazy. It yeah. is such a, sm- such a small world. I know, right? Because somebody was just having a visit from somebody in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually my my mother in law's in town from from Birmingham right wow. now in New York. Um, yeah, it's very strange because I've made that trip. I mean, having to drive. The thing that sucks about driving to Atlanta for work is the time change oh. in the middle of Birmingham and Atlanta. Oh, honey! At one point, I was doing a trade show in Atlanta. But I think it was the Duquesne Grass Grill, and you had to be on the trade show floor at nine. And but I was doing a play in Birmingham, and my call time at the theater was six thirty p.m. Oh man, so that worked to my advantage coming over. But I'd have to get up and leave at five. Yeah, yeah. crack it on. Yeah, five to be there. No, I had to leave at no God six would have been seven. That would be too late. Yeah, I had to leave at five because that was six to get there in Atlanta because in Birmingham it's five you know, an hour behind. Mm-hmm. But coming mm-hmm. home, I had a little advantage. Because I didn't finish till five, but that was four in Birmingham, so I just made it to the theater. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, very much so. Like, I uh, I went to college in Auburn, Alabama, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. going from Auburn to Atlanta, like I'd get out of class and then go work like freelance film production in Atlanta, and mm-hmm. ugh, that drive. Yeah, yeah, it's I've done that drive. I know that drive. Yeah, I've driven all over this. I, I played, started singing in rock clubs when I was fifteen, and um, at one point, somebody's buddy of something who was a fan for a minute it was connected to a tour bus company so we had just a few months where we did a few gigs and we got to actually be in a real tour bus which was i loved it i loved it and i hated it because my <laughs> lifestyle was so different from the guys i loved the guys so much but i was always the one going you guys come on put the bomb down we've got us get set up <laughs> i was me i was that nerd so. i love it so, so we we obviously know you've been in so many different cartoons yeah. and, and video games. I like to call you my one true Commander Shepard. Oh, um, many other- thanks. For <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, a lot of people may not know that you started out in in soap operas and television shows as an on camera talent. So I did. Yeah. How? What was it like coming up in the in that industry? Um, and what was that transition like going from on screen to voice? And then did you have any words of advice for listeners interested into getting into either? Yeah, I, um, I've always got opinions. Um, I, <laughs> I actually sort of went back and forth. My first, uh, my first, first gig ever was uh, an on-camera commercial for Bargain Town USA and out of Birmingham. And, um, I just very simple. I was like the store clerk or something. And then very shortly after that, I got, I started working at a video production studio right next door to an audio studio called Boutwell Studios. And these wonderful people, Greg and Courtney and Nancy took me under their wing and let, you know, help me kind of mentor or put up with me. Um, (laughs) 
And the first voiceover I ever did, it was because I could do, I think, a Valley Girl or something like that. And I went to the fine arts high school so I could talk without a Southern accent. And I was working right next door. So they just invited me over to do this voiceover. And I got paid 30 or $35. And I was like, wait, what? Because when you're a teenager and somebody throws that money at you, you're like, hold on a minute, yeah. you know? And um, so I pursued it in a very dogged, systematic way. I kept making my demo tape and remaking it and redoing it. And um, around the time I was 18, I I started cold calling ad agencies. I put on a little suit, put my hair up in a bun and went out and cold called ad agencies because in Birmingham at the time, there were a bunch of agencies that did uh, syndicated small market car commercials and they had both voiceover and on camera. So I hammered and trained myself to do both. And in high school, we had a sort of fledgling little video program, I guess. We went to a local cable outlet my last year or two of high school. And I loved that. And I, I did, you know, I'd shoot stuff. I'd be on camera. I'd be just wherever I could be busy and involved in the future. That's what I did. And um, so from that, you know, legwork of just the nauseating process of cold calling people, which is horrifying and awful. Don't oh, yeah. wait for it to be fun to do it because you'll never do it. Right. Um, <clears throat> I shoved myself out of my comfort zone and started doing uh, ads in walking through hot parking lots with blinding silver reflectors, carrying a wired microphone, trying not to trip over it while I'm walking through the cars and trying not to sweat, um, saying 34 seconds worth of copy in 29 seconds you know, cause that's what you have to get done memorized that they'd handed you 10 minutes before you started. And, um, then for the voiceover stuff that, that was, <laughs> that was back before we had the digital stuff and um, <laughs> they would actually record onto tape, physical tape. And we'd do 60 second commercials. So it was incredible training cause you had to do it in one pass, you know, Good Lord. like now I could go up, oh, pick up, and just say it again. And as long as I leave a silent space there, it's fairly easy to see that waveform and edit. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but in, uh, back then they had to actually line up and we would do it for different markets. So I would just sort of pick up the tagline, but I had to make a tagline that was, you know, four syllables shorter, take the same amount of time, but have the same energy as the whole overwritten spot. It was crazy town, but it was great training. It was incredible training. And then I was doing some jingle singing at the time and all that kind of thing, which was, was fun. Um, and then a couple years into that, I decided that at the same time I was, I finished fine arts high school and I got a, a really good theater scholarship to go to Birmingham Southern college at the time. But I got into that program and they were basically making me take all the same classes I'd had in high school, like the same, same classes. And the type of acting they were doing was a lot more stage, a large stage, like super presentational. And that, that was, that's not what organically hits me in the gut. Mm. What hits me in the gut is the, you know, more internal stuff. And, and unless it's cartoons, in which case I'm insane and I have a blast, but um, that they weren't doing that. And so <clears throat> I eventually kind of shifted over to this, to UAB, this other university and just got a business degree. I stopped off in broadcast journalism for a second, which is where I, I learned the true old fashioned principles of uh, broadcast journalism presentation, where they taught us, you don't insert your opinion into you know, the content, you don't, you don't editorialize what you're reporting on. You simply report it objectively and let the viewer make up their mind. So every time I right. listen to a newscaster now, it makes me sick. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Because there's so much editorializing and so much manipulation. 
it's disgusting. Anyway, so I ended up business degree from UAB, but during that time, um, I drove over to Atlanta just to kind of increase my commercial business and get some bigger projects and, you know, just play in a bigger pool. And over there, I got my first audition for a, uh, a film and TV project. It was a pilot at the time, which later just turned into a, a special because it didn't get picked up, but they didn't want to throw it away. Um, and, uh, it was the first audition I ever had for a movie and I booked it and the acting made so much sense to me on camera acting just made so much sense to me. I loved it and, uh, just kept going, continued to book stuff. And ironically, I, the only soap I ever did, the only soap I ever watched was, um, Santa Barbara way back when, because the acting was unfreaking believable. You know, it was, uh, Robin Wright who, you know, is still around being incredible. Mm-hmm. Martinez, Marcy Walker, just some phenomenal actors. And it was like a masterclass whenever I could sit down and watch it. And um, so they did this American Idol style competition thing where they went around the country and did like a cattle call. And that didn't happen way back then. You know, that was very rare. Um, mm-hmm. And Star Search maybe was something that did that. But this was unusual. And I had no confidence at the time, but you know, we all deal with that. Right. And, um, I was terrified. It's that head game. Exactly. This was my first serious foray into the head game. I was terrified. So I found this book on brain function and I read it and it talked about how the unconscious mind was like a computer and it doesn't know the difference between positive and negative information. It will simply execute very literally what you say. So if you say, I'm going to, it puts it on the not right now list. For example, I'm going to, you know, quit eating. I don't eat sugar really anymore. Uh, Or I'm going to stop eating sugar. It goes, okay, not right now. But if you say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I no longer eat sugar. Even as you're picking up a candy bar and stick it in your mouth, your brain's like, wait, like this cognitive dissonance shows up and you're like, what? This is a disconnect, but I don't eat sugar. I know. But, and after a while, it becomes much easier to take that new path. And it instructed you how to write out, I guess, what you would technically call affirmations. And I, I wrote my little list of affirmations out about what I perceived I needed to feel more confident and ready for this crazy cattle call thing I was just going to do. And I listened to that tape. You're supposed to listen to it twice a day. I made recorded the tape and I was supposed to listen to it twice a day. I didn't make twice a day all the time, but I listened to it as much as I could on my little Walkman. And I went to that audition filled with gorgeous women. I mean, gorgeous women. And that's not really how I move through the world. And, um, wearing giant baggy flowered pants and probably an extra large t-shirt and big frizzy hair. And somehow I made it through the callbacks and somehow out of all the women they saw in like four different cities around the country, I ended up being the one they wrote a part for. So I was, I was on the soap opera for a week and I swear to God, it was all that brain function. It was just that. (laughs) <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. I, I, I love hearing that kind of stuff because I think, I don't know, I think in general, it's like, I, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, people are just way too prone to kind of get in the, into their own heads, even if we see like a marginal level of success from something that we do, suddenly yeah. it's this like weird obstacle but yeah that's amazing i'd love to see pictures of you circa this oh, time frame god. given your description oh, god. well my nicknames in let's see in cincinnati where i was i was the kid that the, you know people followed home going i'm gonna beat you up you know i was that kid. <laughs> oh, well no. i was super sensitive right so i was a brilliant and i had probably a southern accent because i'd come from alabama and i had mm-hmm. really bad dark small glasses and curly hair 
and uh, wavy hair. And I was so sensitive. I remember once in sixth grade, we learned some song about a cat who was so excited about the other cat that he loved that he went up on the roof to sing the song and then he fell down and broke all the bones in his body. And in the middle of sixth grade, when you really don't want to incur the opinion of anyone, I could not stop it. I burst into tears and crying for this poor cat. So, I mean, honey, who's a better target than that, right? (laughs) So I got, my nicknames were dog face, hail horse, ugly, and dork. Like I was that person. Oh, no. But you know what? I I hear the awe and that's very, I appreciate the kindness, but it gives you an experience of existence that, you know, as a mostly middle class, you know, I've been lower middle class, I've been upper middle class, I've been, you know, all around the middle class zone, I've been pretty poor. White woman, well, I'm not 100% white, but I, I read white, I look white. Um, you don't otherwise get, you know, my life, right. the, all the hardships I've been through, and they're pretty significant, um, have given me a level of grit that I don't think I'd come by any other way. And yeah, I mean, I've had those absolute hell times, been all the way down in the sewer. Like, I don't know if I'm getting up. I don't know if I'm making the next hour and you do, you just make it and then you get to the next one. So when people, sometimes people come up to me at conventions and they'll, they'll talk about how Shepard or another character got them through. And, um, and I get it. I a hundred percent get it, you know? And I, I don't think people, when they're in that space on that side of the table, really know that. Yeah. I absolutely get it, you know, because we're all the same. <laughs> we're all the same. No, one hundred percent. And I, th- I think, I think what you're hearing in our O's <laughs> is uh, much less, much less just like simple kindness, and much more just like nostalgic. Like, oh shit, I remember when right? that happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, same. we've same, all same, been same. there. Oh my god, and that was tied to something. I don't remember what I was tied to there, but anyway, yes. Next question. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so superficial into the deep. So here we are. No, I love it. No, it's fantastic. Here we go, I mean, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a big reason why we love talking to folks because I think uh, I think just kind of tearing tearing down the, the fences and just being like, hey, person to person, let's chat is a lot of fun. Um, so because we've got limited time, and I know we've got like twenty five ish minutes, and we want to make sure we take advantage yeah. of that for the topic du jour. Yeah. Um, so it seems like there's a little conflict here. We've talked to Chris Zimmerman Salter and we've talked to David Hayter and they both have differing opinions on who brought David into the fold. Ha. And so, and so I want to ask, uh, how did you start working with Chris and how did you start working with David? I took a class with Chris Zimmerman many years ago and, uh, it's one of the, it was the, probably the single best decision I ever made. And, um, that helped launch me off off the docks. It was amazing. I met Dave when we both worked on Spider-Man, the 90s Spider-Man. And um, he was Captain America and I was the black cat. And we just hit it off. He's he's to this day, one of my dearest friends. And um, Chris was auditioning for this um, Metal Gear series because I'd been working with her in animation. And she's like, you should come in for this. And I was like, okay. And I always love to do this. I was like, what else are you looking for? And she's like, well, I need this and this. I'm like, hey, you should meet my friend. Can my friend come? <laughs> <laughs> like, ask your mom if uh, I don't awesome that way, but I'm right. much like that. I'm like, hey, you should meet this guy. And I still do that to this day. Poor David. I think it was like, I don't know how many years ago when the Old Republic started for Star Wars. Um, Will was in there. Will was uh, casting and directing. And and um, and I said, I said, oh, I said, what, what other roles are you still looking for? And he goes, well, we need this. We need a Jedi. And I was like, oh, have you thought about David Hayter? 
And he's like, would he do it? And I'm like, <laughs> let me ask. And I thought it was a one-off because Dave is so busy. He's so successful and so busy. And I was like, I thought it was just going to be like one session and it's still going. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, Dave, I pulled you into a really long thing. <laughs> That's my recollection of what happened. I'm sure, I'm sure he's not too broken up about it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. So good. So many things. Yeah. Yeah. We've heard we've heard about this legendary class so many times. Like (laughs) I think the two the two recurring points that we hear about, I think, is like the weird house you guys recorded Metal Gear in. And and then the other one is this class. And it's like it seems like everybody was in this class. Like Yeah, D Baker. Um, it was amazing. And um Charlie is co taught the class. Charlie Adler co-taught the class with Chris Zimmerman and he is still teaching. I just went back to class with him like last year, year before just to shake it up. Cause he's one yeah. of the few people that, you know, he's so brilliant. He can always teach me something. And he's, he's just so brave and fearless and honest. He'll shake you up. It's incredible. And he's got an amazing heart. Yeah. And I mean, if Chris awesome. ever teaches anywhere, get there. Just get there. I don't care how much experience you have or where you've taken class or where you're at, but get there. Nice. We so so at this point in in doing the podcast, we've been very lucky that we've been able to talk with just about not quite all, but just about all of the original voice cast for the first mm-hmm. game, and everybody has painted some kind of picture of what recording Metal Gear Solid One was like. What was your perspective on the experience and do you have any like fun stories you remember from doing it? I just remember the crazy house and (laughs) the noise from the house. It wasn't the most sound. I remember that it wasn't the most soundproof place in the world. And we had Keiko, our producer who was very organized and very on it. And I remember that Dave spoke Japanese and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and he was yammering away with these people who he was so excited about. And I was like, yeah, they seem really cool. And I, I think that was Hideo. <laughs> I should know more about this because I'm speaking to incredible people. Um, and, I, you know, as always, my overriding thing is oh, I'm so grateful to be here. You know, mm. just so grateful to be here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, madness. Mm-hmm. I, when I still like, I don't know. I think one of the things that we're always curious about too is like that environment and how things shifted as the series went on. Yeah. Um, um, because like, yeah, go ahead. It got sorry. fancier. We got real studios. Yeah. We got, you know, uh, I, I didn't have to try to do a South African accent ever again. And <laughs> I sucked at it. I sucked at that one. Um, since then I've, I've gotten a bit more training. Thank you, JB Blanc. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah. What's the yeah? What so? What was? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna I say, what's know. the story behind that? And I don't. Why know. did they change it? I, I, pff, so far above my pay grade. I, <laughs> I just know that the next time I went back, I was like, oh yeah, I must have really sucked with that because they're just losing the accent this time. Well, uh, well, <laughs> I, Kim I, I guess had the same thing. But it's not about me, you know, right? It's not personal. Yeah. Um, I uh, I don't know. They just did. They just did. I remember watching the videos of the uh, original. Japanese actors and how different their acting style is to the American. You know, it's so much more dramatic and, mm. you know, um, bigger. And then in America, it's quite typical actually of when we like, I remember Onimusha Buraden with that game, same thing. The styles were so different, but when you, when you translate it back to the American, it's not just the language, it's the style as well. Yeah. I think that makes, I think that makes total sense. What was it? So, um, 
like when we talked to when we've talked to a couple folks it seems like for some people metal gear was kind of their first foray into video games but for you it wasn't because i think you'd done a couple games beforehand i mean how did it compare to like other games it was so cool i mean the other games i I believe if i'm ordering them correctly except for like carmen san diego where i you know just played like an 18 year old american kid Um, (laughs) the other games were very fantasy style or in other they were in alternate universes and this one was just an alternate storyline you know uh, in in a, a, a universe of humans and clearly humans and um the it felt a lot more film and TV. It felt a lot more like a movie. Um, it was just so cool. It was so cutting edge and so cool. And it was very clear to me, the creative team behind it was absolutely brilliant. And I needed to just shut up and get on the train because it's awesome. You're one of the few people in the series, being the other two being David and Christopher Randolph, who have credits as two characters yes. in the series. Yeah. So you played Naomi and you also played Emma Emmerich in Metal Gear mm-hmm. Solid 2. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you approached doing Naomi versus how you approached doing Emma? Yeah. I mean, I, for me, how I approach any character always comes out of the writing. It's in the writing. You know, it's the obvious things like how old am I? Uh, where am I from? What do I want? What professional path is this person take? taken so in terms of a human being what emotions are off limits to them how do they operate and Naomi has a wide range of things that are available to her um Emma on the other hand is obviously younger more vulnerable more trusting um Naomi's very very calculated Mm. and and uses her intelligence in a very specific way Emma had so much more innocence and operated more from an emotional place and she was young so much younger too and I remember just being blown away that I got the incredible luck to play when I got cast as Emma. I was like, oh, my God, I get to do another character in this universe. This is the best. <laughs> this is the best. So I was super happy. Yeah. How did that work? I mean, was it just like, was it Chris being like, well, Naomi's not in this one, but I want to get I want to get Jennifer in here. No, like, how, how, did, how did that work? I auditioned work? like everybody else. And that just happens to be what got picked. As far as I know, that's awesome. You know, yeah. as far as I know, yeah. It's it's interesting that we've never had both of them in the same game. Yeah. Uh, I would love I would love to hear you almost have to do a bit where you're talking to I've yourself. I've done that. There's a show out there called Totally Spies where I have uh, I'm yeah. a regular Sam, and then I'm her arch nemesis Mandy, and I would, <laughs> or I would argue with myself, and uh, and I would do it on the run. It was so much fun. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Do you think that uh, Christopher Randolph would make a better brother than? Otacon? Yes. He'd <laughs> <laughs> make anyone an awesome brother. He's a, a, a wonderful human. Yeah, he's a super nice guy. I think it was actually the last interview that we Aww. did. Was with Christopher Hi, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> we were in acting class together yeah. years ago. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I'm. Uh, now that I'm New York based, uh, I was like, Chris, we're going to go get coffee because um, I want to buy you a coffee because you're a very kind human he being. He is. He's a deeply kind, and we need more kind in this world. For sure. Mm-hmm. No, we just need everybody to connect to their kind because there's a lot of kind. We just need to activate it. I think 100%. I think uh, it's it's nice that ni- it's nice that kind is a little bit back in vogue, I guess, to some extent. Oh, like it seems like it's coming. It's like all, yeah, Mr. Rogers chic, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Mr. Rogers chic or I'll kick your ass. No. <laughs> yep. yep. Got to get a little, little hard nose in there. Well, you know what? It's important to be deeply kind and have very strong boundaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
That's awesome. That's a really good way to put that. You are an extremely eloquent speaker. Oh. It's blowing up my <laughs> Thank you. Is it weird to play both the same character's sister and lover? Yes. Yes. It's just, <laughs> you just shut it down. You compartmentalize. You're like, la, 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 la. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Ah. Those scenes always make me insanely uncomfortable anyway. Oh, right. Blah. Yeah. I, I mean, and I don't know if I'm alone in this, Sam, definitely let me know if, if, if you feel the same way. I feel like watching, there's something about like watching a sex scene in a film is totally fine. Watching a sex scene in a video game feels like watching somebody mash a Barbie and a Ken doll together. <laughs> it makes me feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a, it's a little strange. That's eloquent. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So, so it's like, yeah, Naomi pulls Otacon into the helicopter and I'm like, please, no. I, I know, don't right? Well, because you're co-creating in a game, right? So mm-hmm. you're you're so much more involved. I mean, the game is the is the pig and movies are the chicken, if you're mm-hmm. familiar with that analogy. Um, I am not. Can, oh, you, can you break that yeah, down for us? Uh, the chicken is involved chicken? in breakfast. The pig is committed. Oh, okay. The pig and the pig is the bacon. Sorry, vegetarians. Uh, I gotcha, gotcha. But, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I've never heard that before. That's excellent. Oh, yeah. No, involved versus committed. (laughs) Yeah, which works really well for horror games. Uh, Yeah. But when you're watching two plasticine people, like, try to have, like, an intimate relationship, it's a little awkward. Oh, so awkward. So (laughs) awkward. Oh, let's move on. (laughs) Yeah. So, so Metal Gear is a series that's filled with, like, tragedy it's part of like the core of what it is but naomi is one of the more tragic characters within the series um how do you prepare for some of the more emotional moments and was there anything in any of the games that you took took part in that took you by surprise as far as character growth or changes or anything like that yeah i mean i think i was i was surprised and well, this this comes down to where you're the same as the character and where you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whenever any role comes through, the way that I work, I sort of, it's quick, almost unconscious inventory of uh, what's available to this person and what's not. Um, in other words, what what do you have permission for in your life? I have permission to be kind. I have permission to speak up. I have permission to be goofy, you know, and uh, I don't think Naomi would ever be goofy. So I take that off the shelf. When I'm playing Naomi, um, I do not have permission to kill people for my own ends. She does. So I have to take sure. that out and put it on the shelf when I'm playing her. I'm like, okay, whoo, here we go. But I don't think about it because my goal is to cease existing when I step into a role. I don't exist. That that human who I am exists. And I, I draw from all the fuel in my cupboards to feed that human the, as absolute best I can. And, but you know, there's not room for me to be uncomfortable or, or come, you know, or hung up about anything because it's not about me. It's about the character. It's about what that writer put down and what that their team's vision is. I got to actualize that now because we're on the clock. Studios are expensive and get to it. It's not about you. Um, in terms of the heavily emotional things, I, you know, I've trained as an actor since I was a kid. So I think back to, I just draw on the technique that I've formed and for people who are studying the craft and in the early, are in the earlier parts of their careers. I'll, I'll offer up one, ex- one moment that I had. Um, I just moved to LA and I was, <clears throat> I just wanted to be good. I just wanted to be good at this. 
And I was bemoaning the fact that I wasn't as good as I wanted to be. And thank goodness, this more sensible voice in my head smacked me upside the head and went, will you stop? (laughs) In 20 years, you will be. Look at the people you admire. They're all much older than you, most of them, except for Leonardo DiCaprio, because he's always been brilliant. Um, And you're going to get there if you put in the time. So I just fall into, and I don't know if I, that's not me to decide if I ever got there or not. I'm still going there. So sure. I'll let you know when I kick it. Um, <laughs> but, and I don't think it matters because I'm having fun along the way. Right. Of course. But I've put together a, a craft based on a bunch of different types of training. I, we did Stanislavski. We did, you know, I did bad children's theater training before that. We did, I've done Meisner stuff. I worked with a guy who was a disciple of Roy London. Like all the different techniques that I have have become sort of my own version, which I hope is what everybody does. And nobody's 100% right. You take what works for you and you build your own toolkit. And so I take that toolkit and I pop it into place and I go to work on what's in front of me. And I just try to disappear. That's amazing. (laughs) I wanted to ask as well, just because I, I don't know for, for us from like a, like a behind the scenes sort of perspective, I'm always really curious to see like how long these things take and like sort of, um, I don't know how frequently you guys are in and out of the studio. And so it's interesting that like with Metal Gear Solid one, it seems like it was all pretty quick. I think the budget um, was tight. <laughs> yeah. You had to get in there and, and then, get done. And Chris is it. I mean, I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're totally fine. Before I forget, Chris Zimmerman Salter is in my mind, one of the major forces responsible for the tone of modern gaming as we know it. Um, she's a phenomenal director. She's directed some of the most iconic projects out there. And she's a brilliant director to, I mean, to this day. Um, I can't say whether we're working on something right now or not, but uh, to this day, she, I go into work with her and I'm a little scared. <laughs> she's got a nose for emotional truth. She's got ears like a bat and she knows her stuff backwards, forwards, inside out and upside down in ways that people have never even thought of. And she's not, it's even, it's unconscious for her. It's second nature. So yeah, it, it yeah. is radical. Just talking to her about like takes, like we were talking to her about takes in the studio and how many takes and what she's looking for and what kind of thing and options. And mm-hmm. she's like, if, if they give me what I need, I don't need them to do anything else. Like it's, I don't know. It was wild. Just kind of talking to her about her process and how, yeah. how she likes to just kind of just get it as well as she's going to get it because she's, I don't know. She just knows what she wants. You know? Yes. And she was, she came up under uh, Gordon Hunt who, Oh my God. Oh, I'm gonna, uh, Gordon is one of the biggest gifts I've ever met. He was. He passed away not too long ago, and it makes me sad and angry every day that he's not still here. I'm like, Gordon, you're supposed to still be here. Um, he is uh, an incredible director. He, um, I guess most people would be familiar with the Uncharted stuff. He directed all those, not all those, as many as he could, and then Chris took over um, before he passed. And he was a, an acting teacher and he wrote a book that I read before I ever moved to LA called, I think, How to Audition by Gordon Hunt. And I used to go to him to coach privately for mocap things and we would just have the best time. And I got to work with him on a, a few things. One of them was a, um, an animated feature where I got, I was the female lead and Brendan Fraser was the male lead and Brendan hadn't done a lot of animation. He'd done a ton of on camera, but he hadn't done a lot of animation and he was a little bit nervous and I watched Gordon just set him at ease in about three seconds and Gordon oh, wow. had that same light hand 
Like when he's got it, he's got it. Move on. He doesn't need to right. prove anything. His his ego was his ego was nowhere in the room, so that he could actually hear what was in the room. Yeah, there's something about I, just like ego and fear that just makes it. I don't know. It's hard. It's it's amazing to see these directors work so confidently. Yeah, because I think being like a ball of nerves myself, it's yeah. like that clarity is infectious you know what i mean it is and it's wonderful to be around because what it does is it gives you almost kind of a muscle memory for what to shoot for you know right a really good a director and we won't use the word good and bad because we all have good days and bad days and you know it can be intimidating to go like well i want to be a good director but i don't know how many experience things to listen for is is to just practice the art of getting out of your own head in your daily life and things that are completely unrelated to directing because that skill of getting out of your own head is going to serve you in those moments when you need to get out of your own head. <laughs> you know, meditation is really good that way. There's a great app I'm playing with right now called Waking Up. That it just, oh. It's just 10 minutes a day, you know, and it's phenomenal. It'll change your life in really weird, tiny ways that are everything. Um, but a great director for actors, and I think for the project, knows that moment. They'll give you the setup. They'll say, okay, you're here and this is what's happening. And, and there's a moment when the actor goes, oh, and you can either see it on their face or you hear it in their voice. Get off the button. Let them do a take. Because if you keep, that's inspiration that has just hit that actor. I mean, it's mm -hmm. key information they still don't have. Okay, keep talking. But get off the button and let them fly. Because in less experienced people or people who are not sure of themselves will continue to talk because they're just listening to themselves. They're not actually listening to you and watching you. You're talking to see so the other person can hear you and you've got to dial in for when they do because that's the magic moment. Jennifer, I feel like you, uh, I think I feel like you're direct, directly speaking to speaking me right now. Like right, it's right through the yeah. Woo. Yeah. Independent filmmaker just relocated to New York. Very not confident. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like we were supposed to talk today. So I just want to say oh, thank you uh, oh, personally. My joy. You know, set aside the notion of confidence because it's an external and you don't have a lot of control over it. And people sell that crap like it's supposed to be guaranteed and you're just coming up short. And that's wrong and unfair. Um, don't go for confidence. Just go for presence. Just get try to get present. That'll serve you more than confidence ever will. You should do. You should do a. You should do a TED talk. <laughs> well, this is why I have my head game class, right? So. Yeah. Well, and I was going to actually ask about that. I mean, is it the kind of thing where it's like it's strictly in person, or do you do any sort no, of like no, streaming of your class? Can people virtual. find you? It's done via Zoom. Oh wow! Holy crap! Mm -hmm. uh, where can people go if they're interested in that? Just um, like listeners, me, or email me at jennifer at jenniferhale.com. You have to have some level of professional experience, like you. You know, like you. You're in New York. You're an independent filmmaker. Um, it's not for rank beginners because uh, there's another platform for rank beginners, which is a beautiful place to be. And I, I can connect you to the right people for that. Um, because there's a certain pace we need to hit. You don't have to have a ton of experience. You just got to be on the field. So. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I think Sam wanted to ask you specifically about your, your business pursuits. Yeah. yeah. You, uh, you obviously, you're a fantastic follow on Twitter, but if anybody, aside from the game things, if anybody does follow you, they'll find that you're a very business-minded individual. Yes. Um, was that something you were always interested in? And, and <laughs> My dad. I have two dads. I have my biological dad and then my dad who showed up when I was young and has been there for me, um, you know, 
the whole time. Mm. And they're both wonderful humans. But my, my, my dad too uh, used to call me the little capitalist piglet. <laughs> and the, the best illustration of my form of capitalism is this. I ran the numbers, I think I was like nine or 10 years old, about how many macrame plant hangers I could make and um, what it would cost me to buy the, the yarn, the, you know, the twine, and then what I could sell them for. And I would make them. And then I would say, oh, just take it. It's okay. I want you to have it. So that's my form of capitalism. I was, I was working on a property today. And we've got a guy, um, I, I run some real estate assets with some friends and uh, we got a guy who had moved out and he's a veteran and, um, you know, we have investors, so we're accountable to how we run these. And I, I can't do this on this property because, because of the investors, but if it was my own property, I'd be like, you know what, right off what we owe him, he's a vet, <sighs> forget it. I'm not mm-hmm. collecting. He's amazing. You know, thank him and, you know, go on, go on your merry way, man. But I can't do that because I'm accountable to investors. Sure. Yeah. I, I, you know, that bit that I talked about earlier when I cold called ad agencies and went door to door, that's business. Uh, Money is very important to me because it equals freedom. I'm Mm. shifting on my chair. That's nothing else. I'm just shifting on my squeaky chair. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guys. Um, But I, uh, money's always been freedom and security for me. And that's not accurate either because freedom and security live in your head. Mm. I just happen to have it tied to money, you know. But what that did in my life is motivate me to organize around money. My my mother had very erratic habits around money, and that created a lot of insecurity, which motivated me to get really systematic about it, which was good. Um, so I have a podcast. It's been called The Art of Money, with Jennifer Hale. It's been called Adulting with Money, and it's been called Beyond Money. It's on iTunes. If you just search Money, Jennifer Hale on iTunes, you'll find it. And I've recorded a few episodes. I recorded like two where people called in, but it has, it has even more fun momentum when I do it at conventions. I'll, you know, push the promoter to see if I can get a room that people can come to at some point during the weekend. And we can sit down and talk about you guys and your money. Hmm. And I think financial education well, look, I'll, I'll hit a couple of my main points that I always hit, which is the modern educational system as it, it exists in this country, <clears throat> as I understand it, descended from the Victorian era where England ran a global empire from a tiny island in the Atlantic without computers. How do you do that? You standardize reading, writing, and math. You put all children into a system where they're they're forced to learn this so that and you train them to think like employees so they'll come out and be the cogs in your machine. You do not teach them how the machine runs because that won't go well for you. <laughs> um, so that's that's where our educational system comes from. There are a handful of families on the planet, if you go back to the late 1800s, the robber barons sort of era, who came in and really were stuck in the feudal system. I was at Warwick Castle a couple of years ago with my kid. Mm. He, he had done a report on it in school and we got the wonderful opportunity to be there because I was at a convention in England and I get, it struck me right between the eyes. A couple thousand years ago, we had two sort of community operating systems in place. One was the tribal system, which is not perfect. I mean, tribes fought and they killed each other and then they got along. But the rule, one of the ruling things in that system was the planet, Mother Earth, because you lived and died by how well you were in harmony with that. Right. And on the other side was the feudal system where you had 
lords and peasants or, you know, whatever cultural form of that existed, emperors and, you know, their people. And where you had a, a typically a male and she, because we, you know, it was a couple thousand years ago that the women were really seriously in charge, but we won't go there. Um, but those, the thing about the feudal system is you had overlords and underlings, like hardcore and very few of the overlords. And that system sort of virally took over the planet and destroyed the planet. It is destroying the planet. And I think we really need a return to a more community-based, you know, tribalism is deadly, but we are all one tribe and we need to realign ourselves with the fact that we are actually parasites on this planet and the earth is our host. And we are frankly the worst parasites that ever existed because we're killing the host. You know, the earth would yeah. be just fine. Well, it doesn't care about, you know, climate change or any of that. It's like, whatever. You guys are the ones who are going to die off. See you. But, you know, all this ties to money. Um, so we don't have financial education. Uh, sorry, going back to these very few families that run everything. There's an amazing book out there. I recommend to many, many people, if it's your thing, uh, Winners Take All. And I cannot pronounce his name right because I've never met him. Anand Giraharadas, I think is his name. Um, but it, it, he's on the news all the time. I follow him on Twitter. He's really brilliant. Basically, there's all these super wealthy people in the world giving back. Yes, those were air quotes. They wouldn't have all that money to give back if they paid people a living wage. Right. You know, we got to rebalance and we got to take our money in hand. I run my acting work like a business. When I'm in fashion, I save half my money because I'm going to be less in fashion or out of fashion or whatever. I take any money I can save and I throw it into real estate investments because I understand real estate. Find out whatever your thing is. Maybe it's the stock market. Maybe it's Forex and currency. I don't know. Um, real estate's my happy place. And I, because as I get older, I give less of a crap about pleasing people. And there's going to come a day when I'm going to want to work on the projects I want to work on. And I'm not going to be able to pony it up to make myself look all shiny and nice for stuff I don't believe in. So I better save my money and create a financial backup plan so that I can work on my friend's movie for free or work on this incredible project for peanuts because I just love it, you know? Um, yeah. So I got yeah. I got to be my own patron. So, cause I'm an artist or I want to just sit down and do some music for a couple of years. You know, I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I want, I, I feel like I speak for us and for our listeners when we say, cannot wait to see you in those passion projects down the road. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so that'd much. That'd be fantastic. Um, so we're a little over on time, Jennifer, um, by a couple minutes. So I just want to let you know that we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. Okay. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us. And um, I, uh, when typically we'll write like a post where people can find you, but just really quickly so that we've got it from in your own words, where can people follow you if, if they're interested in keeping up with you? Yes, people can find me on Twitter. I am at jhaletweets. I have recently tiptoed into Instagram very quietly. I am at jhalegram. Um, and, uh, and I really want to say to everybody out there, I'm so grateful for you all. And I so appreciate you guys having me on the podcast. And thanks to this community. Thanks to all of you. Um, please register to vote. Uh, yes. Get in this world because we need you. We need you so much and you matter. And I just big love to you all. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Thanks, and uh, and yeah, it, it, meant, it means a lot to all of us. So thank you. Thank you guys. And good luck. And hey, email anytime, independent filmmaker. So <laughs> if you need a boost, I'll, you know, if you want to get in the head game, just Jennifer at JenniferHale.com. You know, I'm here and, and you keep doing it. You're going to nail this.